I'll just say to the listeners, don't give up. It might seem really complex, but once this, the, these concepts click, you'll know it. I mean, if they've made it to the end of this hour and a half episode, uh, hopefully, uh, I mean, we probably should have said that at the beginning. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what you can do. Insert, <laughs> insert that clip at the beginning, Bob. Welcome to another episode of Raycast. I'm your host, Connor, and today we have three panelists, two panelists and one subject matter expert, and I'll have them go around and introduce themselves. We'll start with Adam, then go to Marshall, and then go to Bob. I'm Adam Potsevsky, full-time APL programmer at Dialogue Limited. Um, I'm Marshall Lockbaum. Today I'm known for creating BQN. I started as a J programmer and worked at Dialogue for a while before that. Been through a few languages. And I'm Bob Terrio, and I'm a J enthusiast. I'm expecting to learn a tremendous amount because I did a little bit of homework last night, and I realized there's a whole lot of things I don't know about the topic today, and I'm going to find out a lot, I'm sure. And Stephen Taylor, who's our regular panelist, is not here because he's celebrating the 92nd birthday of his mom, and his mom is Belle McDonald. So happy birthday, Belle McDonald. Happy birthday. A little bit sad that uh, she took priority over us. Don't really understand that. But it is what it is. I will, I'll, I'll give him a pass this one time. Um, and yes, uh, as mentioned before, my name's Connor. Um, I'm not an APLK, BQN, J, or any other array language developer, but um, I am a huge enthusiast of the language and the combinators. I code in C++ day to day. And I think we have, before we jump into our topic today, I think we have three announcements, um, one from each of the individuals. So we'll go to Adam first, then to Marshall, and then to Bob. Right. So after over 55 years, uh, APL finally has a logo. It took like about half a year for the APL community to establish a logo that uh, people were found acceptable. And uh, now that it's available, it's time to go and uh, show your APL pride. Uh, so we'll leave in the show notes links to a store where you can get uh, merch of various sorts. Do we actually have merch? Of course we have. Really? Yes. There is merch. Yeah. When? There's there's mugs. Since uh, last week. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to go get some merch. I thought we were just joking. Because uh, la- the last time we mentioned merch, it was uh, Aaron Shoes' site because we didn't actually have merch. But we actually, it's not merch for us. It's just the it's APL. APL Merch. All right. Not a Raycast merch. Not a Raycast But uh, the second best thing, I guess. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Over to Marshall. All right. So after uh, two years now, BQN is uh, getting something that a lot of people have asked for, which is a foreign function interface, which you can use to call um, native functions like you would write in C or maybe these days, Zig or Rust or whatever. Um, so we're not, we're, we're still kind of polishing off bugs with this, but I expect by the time that this episode comes out, um, we'll have released our foreign function interface. So if you wanted to use BQN but were stuck on interfacing with other languages, that's a, that's a big step. Awesome. That sounds super cool. And Bob? And uh, we had a, a listener uh, email us and um, mention that there was a change to KX's uh, terms of service in terms of the free um, the use of the free commercial license. And so we reached out to KX to uh, ask them, uh, well, for one thing, we asked them if they'd like to be on a future episode, uh, but also we asked them if they had any statement. And they provided this statement, and the statement I will read right now. In early May, KX implemented changes to our free non-commercial licensing. 
This was in direct response to a significant breach of our terms of service. We continue to support our valued developers with access to free 64-bit on-demand tooling, curriculum, and community platforms. Over the coming days, we will launch the new method to obtain a license, but for now, kindly ask that you reach out to trial at kx.com with any requests. And of course, we'll put that uh, link into the show notes. And uh, that was their response to the uh, questions about their change in terms of service, and that's, uh, that's their announcement. Awesome, yeah. So probably at minimum, when Stephen's back on in a future episode, we'll we'll discuss it uh, a little bit. Maybe there'll be a whole episode if, if KX wants to um, bring someone on. Maybe, or maybe they send Stephen. Send sounds weird, seeing as he's here usually all the time. But yeah, stay tuned for updates in a future episode, as we'll probably be mentioning this at least again in the future. All right, so that means today we're going to be hopping into sort of a roundtable discussion. I will be playing the role of uh, noob, for lack of a better word, someone, you know, a beginner, um, on what I think is one of the more complicated topics in the array language paradigm. And that is sort of the uh, idea cloud of rank, leading access theory, and, you know, adjacent topics. Um, so... I guess I'll start by saying that this is probably one of the things that I have, I, I understand least well, especially when it comes to J. Um, although compared to APL and BQN, probably I know the least about J. But there's been many times where um, I've been trying to do something in J, and I think the idiomatic way is to use the rank operator, which is the, the double quote. Um, and then I'll end up like failing to do it. And I guess we should just start by someone explaining what rank is, um, maybe what the rank operator is, how it exists in each of APL, BQN, and J, are there differences? And then from there, maybe we can talk about leading access theory, the development of that, how that sort of exists in the different array languages, because I know that there are differences between the two. Um, we'll, at the top of the show notes, we'll have a link to the APL Wiki article on leading access theory, which has a couple different sections um, the one most interesting one that I came across is called the adoption in APL that shows that like certain glyphs, you know, they, they operate on different axes. And when this whole leading access theory, theory started to develop, you know, certain glyphs, you could basically uh, like were compatible with this leading access theory, but others weren't and et cetera, et cetera. And across the APLs, you know, there's this nice little sort of green and red diagram, but enough said from me, who wants to start by trying to explain what rank is, what the importance of it is, and how it ties into leading access theory. Well, I'll start by saying for the rank operator, the, the shocking answer for the differences between J, APL, and BQN is that there are pretty much none. Um, it's, uh, you know, probably one of the very few things where this is the case. Uh, I'm not even sure I can think of any others. There, there may be like, you know, the reverse function, but... Even then, APL has the two reverse functions, and only one of them is the same as BQN and J's. Um, I think Adam's probably the best person to to explain kind of how you use the rank operator most of the time. Okay, I guess I can, I can, I can try. Um, but I would say that it has to be clear what exactly axes mean and and leading axes and defining a function in in terms of leading axes first. Um, otherwise, the rank operator really doesn't make any sense. So, uh, in 
I don't know what you call them, proper APLs, um, then data is stored in multidimensional arrays. And that means that they you could define them in a, we call it a revel order, just the order that they appear in, um, but then they're arranged along uh, zero or more axes. There are slight differences in the array model between uh, APLJ and BQN, um, but for our purpose here, that doesn't really make a difference. Well, an array of numbers is the same in, in any of them. Yes, uh, yeah. That basic concept is gonna still work. Yes, um, and so uh, the axes are ordered. You have a leading axis, and then you have the next axis, next axis until you run out of axis. So for example, for a table or a matrix, uh, the leading axis in all these languages is considered the one that runs along the rows. So then we talk about uh, major cells, which are, it's kind of like elements, but it's kind of like sub arrays where you drill into an array. So a matrix is conceptually uh, made of vectors. It's a collection of vectors of equal lengths. And so that traversing over these vectors, where you look at the first vector, look at the second vector, which are then the rows in the, in the matrix, that would be uh, the leading axis. And then traversing over elements of each individual vector is, uh, in this case, the trailing axis. There are only two of them. So first axis and second axis. And so uh, the important thing is that the, the more of a kind of a global scope that a function have, meaning it, when you feed it an array as argument, it applies to the whole array, the more you can, in a sense, force the perspective of the function to look at subparts of the array. If the function only by itself naturally looks at smaller pieces of the array, there's nothing you can do to make it look at greater parts of the array. Even if you were to try, then it would still drill in and look at small parts. So this might sound very theoretical. Let's make it very practical. Let's say in all these languages, we have uh, two matrices and we add them together with a plus. It's identical in all these languages. So matrix A, matrix B, and we do A plus B. Now plus is defined as in terms of nitty-pitty detail. So it, it drills into to these arrays until it hits atomic numbers, and then it adds up corresponding numbers in, uh, in the two matrices. And there's nothing you can do to make plus have, so to say, a, a larger perspective. It will just look at individual numbers and add them up. A function that uh, doesn't behave like this would be the match or equivalent function. It looks at, it takes two arrays and then it looks whether or not they are entirely identical. So it never looks, well, it, it obviously has to look at the individual elements of the array, but it never considers them separate from each other. It only looks at them as part of the whole array. And here you could conceptually narrow down the scope of the match function so that instead of looking at, at the whole array, let's say we're talking about matrices, we could tell it to look at individual rows. So if we have three rows in, in both matrices, then we can say compare row-wise. So that's a narrowing down of the perspective of the match function. And that is where the rank operator comes in. It's a way to force any particular function to never see arrays of a higher rank than a certain limit that we give it. Or in other words, it's a way to make it uh, 
conceptually loop over an array and process it piece by piece. So that is what the array, uh, what uh, the rank operator is all about. And and there is one other thing with the rank operator, well, rank operator, but ranks that you should know. We're actually talking about two different ranks. One is the rank of the object we're working on, and the other is the rank that's inherent in the verb or the function that we're working with. And the idea of the rank operator is to match one to the other. So by changing the rank operator, you can match your verb or your function to the array that you're working on so you can access parts of the array. If you didn't have a rank operator, uh, you're going to be relying on the function's rank alone, and it's always going to work the same way on the array. And the size of the array or the, the number of dimensions of the array will determine then, if you didn't have a rank operator, you would only be working maybe with leading access, and you'd have to change the number of dimensions in order to work with a different access, or transpose the matrix, move it around so now your leading access is something else. The rank operator allows you to zoom in, as Adam said, into part of the array and say, I only want to look in the, in the object, I only want to look at rows. I'm not concerned if there's 40 rows or 50 rows or one row. I'm only looking at rows, and I'm comparing them to whatever I've got on the other side of my function, if I've got a, a dyadic function. So that's what the rank operator does. I think Henry Rich says something about it being like an uh, impetus match in, in electronics. If you don't match them up, you're never going to be sure about what you get, and a lot of times it's just not going to work. So that's where a lot of times you see length error or something like that in J that indicates that you actually haven't matched things up. You're trying to match two of one thing to three of another, the two of one thing might be rows and the three of others might be blocks. And you've, you've just matched them wrong. If you match them row to row, you might find they all match up again. And that's what the rank operator allows you to do. Yeah. So there was some, I think, J-specific phrasing there. Um, one thing that J has that, uh, that APL and BQN don't is the idea that a function has this built-in rank that it uses. Um, and so in J, you'll have um, like a, the the raise function that combines uh, two lists or that combines a list of lists together into one big list. Um, that's given by J a rank of one. So if you uh, if you apply it to an array, or no, that one maybe a better example I think would be it, it seems kind of extreme, but there's the do verb in in. Uh... Jay, it's very easy to understand. So, so the do verb is just is just an eval. It just evaluates a uh, a vector, a, a line of of code as J. But the important thing is, of course, that since J is a one dimensional programming language, then it will never you never want to consider anything that has higher dimensionality than one. And in J, then since it's defined as having rank one, if you give it a higher rank array, it will just go in and split it up into little pieces that are all rank one. That are, so let's say if you have a, a three-dimensional array, then it will consider like a, a two by two, uh, sorry, a two-dimensional array of one-dimensional arrays, and then evaluate all of those as lines of, of J and collect the result together. Whereas say in APL, it would just error saying, you cannot apply this function to a multi-dimensional array. It just isn't defined like that. You have to do it manually. Yeah, well, so, um, I mean, there's, APL and BQN could define their their evaluation functions to do something like this. But the difference in J is that you each function has this concept of what is its rank. 
um, which uh, other parts of the language can see. There's a, there's a, the uh, normal atop operator written with an at looks at the function rank of its right operand and the one with a colon doesn't. Um, so in J you have this built-in function rank and you might even have a function that does the same thing. Like if you wrote um, execute rank two, then J would say, well, this is a function with a rank of two, even though logically it does uh, still have rank one. The, uh, the J engine no longer knows about that. So, um, well, that's not, um, that's actually not a difference in the rank operator at all, uh, that, but that's a difference in how rank is treated. So J builds rank deeper into the language itself. Um, but we can give an example of, very simple example of using then uh, rank in say J, where it's, even though the rank operator, uh, sorry, the, the do or evaluate uh, verb is defined as having rank one, so it will only ever apply to lines of code, you could use the rank operator to apply it to rank zero, that's individual elements. So let's say you had a character array of digits and you evaluated each, then you, then you would evaluate each digit in this character array and they would become all numeric instead. So this is an example of narrowing down the scope. So the evaluate function will never see entire lines. It will only ever see one character at a time and then evaluate those. Yeah, so it would still ask, um... What are the rank one cells like? Once once the rank zero is applied and it maps down to a character, it asks, "What are the rank one cells of my argument?" But then the argument is a single character, and it it can't go down any further. So there's still that layer there. It's just not doing anything. All right. So this has been great. I've learned a couple things already, um, which I'll summarize. Uh, so one, and this. This was, I was going to ask the question that Marshall immediately answered before asking it. So thank you, Marshall. Is that uh, this is something that's always confused me about J, and I didn't realize it was different um, between APL and BQN, although maybe implicitly I knew, is that J is different in this regard. It has this function rank. Um, and it's actually exactly what you talked about the at um, and at colon, which I think you said are the atop. I can never remember the combinators yeah. in J. Uh, well, I think pretty much everybody agrees that those two are the wrong way around. Mostly the, the colons are on the, the wrong one that should be the full rank version, and the ones without the colon should be the the uh, close version is what it's called historically. Interesting. So there, there's even some agreement that there's a mix-up. But even what you just said right there is that the fact that there are two different versions of these, and like I absolutely love combinators. I study them like in my sleep because I love them so much. And like in between uh, BQN and APL, like I understand them like very, very well. Um, the only time I ever get mixed up is the fact that uh, BQN removed the double dot. And so now those are two like opposites of each, of each other. Because um, the, yeah, the B1 combinator atop doesn't have the double dots. And anyway, so that doesn't really matter. Listener, you can ignore that. But the point being is that J has this difference, and it has always confused me, especially that one diagram, which we can find um, the link for, that shows a visualization of the sort of composition patterns of the different ones, and there's a bunch of, like, arrows. Like, I've never, I've never understood uh, that diagram, even though I, I have to admit I haven't tried that hard. Uh, but the point here being is that J is slightly different, and so maybe we can come back to this in a bit. But I think we should circle back to... Um, the start of this discussion and just talking about rank and sort of the, the wording that Adam used is narrowing down the scope as 
I will sort of uh, restate a couple different examples and then ask a question after this, just because probably all our advanced array languagers that are listening, they've understood everything so far. Maybe they learned a couple things like me. But there might be a couple beginners that are just totally like, what are folks talking about here? Like narrowing down the scope. We've got different um, functions that operate differently. So the example that Adam used was the uh, plus, which I think is kind of, um, I mean, that's a scalar operation. And I put like scalar operations in a different category, which I, I also think that'll be sort of my following up question is, what are the different categories of functions or glyphs in these languages? Well, I have a quick answer to give to that. Um, the uh, Well, so the only categories that matter for rank are, are really the scalars and everything else. Um, but what actually, um, the direction I think Iverson was going when he introduced this uh, rank idea was um, that, well, scalars, of course, have rank zero. They only work on, you know, a, an atom or a, a unit or whatever at a time. Um, so Iverson wanted to, instead of having just two categories, have instead the rank of a function as a more general attribute that, uh, that allows you to say what a function is. So, I mean, now you can say that there are infinity categories. There's rank 0, there's rank 1, there's rank 2, and for dyads, there's rank 0, 0, and 0, 1, and so on. Um, you can have one rank for either argument. Um, so... There are only two categories, but rank kind of uh, generalized that idea so that you can say something about the functions that aren't scalar functions. Okay, so I'll have a follow-up question. Maybe I'll just ask the follow-up question. So, And just to be clear, for once again, the beginner that's listening, when we refer to scalar operations, we're referring to um, like the classically like all the mathematical operations, plus, minus, multiplies, divides. There's a bunch more, but like there's this category of operations that at least... From what I understand in APL, if you can add the two atoms, one plus two, you can add a scalar, a one, to any rank array, whether that's a matrix, a list, you know, uh, n rank matrix, um, and then it'll just add that scalar to every individual atom. And uh, then you can also, it works polymorphically if you have two uh, arrays with the same rank and shape, and then they'll just add them together. But I think after that, APL stops working because you can't add a row, like you can't add a rank one array to a rank two array. You can't add, you know, a vector to a matrix. Although, hypothetically speaking, you could, right? You could just on a row-wise basis add everything together. And I think that's where rank comes in if you can use rank on scalar operations. But Yeah, and this is going to tie into actually the one small difference that APL has um, versus J and BQN, which APL could still extend uh, to, to get up to the functionality that JP and J and BQN have. But um, right now, it doesn't do this leading axis agreement. Um, or actually, does the the rank operator does it? Doesn't oh, it? No, no, no. No, it doesn't. It, it just has um, scalar agreement for the rank operator. So, um, yes, in J and BQN, you can add a, a list to a matrix or anything like that. Um, and that's the one difference there is still in the rank operator. And can you do that in APL? I don't, I don't think, no, or is there a way to do that? Yeah. So like, well, you just, you have to use the rank operator. So if you go, if you go one, two, three, uh, plus rank insert one or whatever rank you need to, and then to a matrix. Negative one would be the rank that you want to, to do the same thing. It, do, it doesn't actually matter in this case, but yeah. Okay. So negative no, one. No, rank one would be, 
Well, okay, it depends on well, what it you depends want what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you well, want to add it on to, a row-wise basis, are we ready to go to leading axis uh, ideas yet? Yeah, I think I was going to say I think leading axis is you, you sort of touched on it um, when you talked about scalars being added to matrices because at least in J, uh, scalars have an empty shape, and that means they'll match anything for their preface, which allows them to be added to like. A, you know, a matrix, a two by two matrix, because they match everything. Yeah, but the same would be true if you had a trailing axis agreement. So it's um, it's when you're adding a list to a matrix that that you first get um, in arithmetic at least the um, these uh, leading axis ideas showing up. Yes, but yeah, you're you're right. It, it shows up as as something that you can see. Um, but the reason it works for scalars is because you don't see it, but it matches everything. And you're right. If you had, say, um, a, a list that has a leading dimension of three, and, you know, so it's, it's a list. It's just a single, you know, three numbers. And you're adding it to uh, a two-by-three matrix. In that case, if you just try and add them, and, you know, you, you try and add it, you're, you're adding one, you're adding three to two, right? But if you make it, if you make it rank one and you look at lists on both sides, now they match up. And the reason they match up, yeah, go ahead and Marshall. Yeah. And so this is, this is where array programming will trip a lot of people up because um, uh, definitely NumPy and I think Julia as well will, will match the trailing axis instead. They'll say, um, if you want to match this list to this matrix of lists, well, yeah, I'm going to match the rows up. Um, and so APL goes in the other direction with respect to the axes, but there's a good reason for that. So I'm sure we'll get to it. Let's, so the question is, do we want to start talking about leading axis theory? I'd say let's come back to that because I still think that um, I have a question for Marshall and everyone, but it was something from, it was, the question came from something Marshall said, um, which was these categories of functions, and you sort of group them into um, scalars and then everything else. Uh, and so we talked about scalars and how in APL for the plus operation and other scalar operations, um, that's going to behave differently than BQN and J. And in order to get that behavior where you're trying to add a single vector to a matrix, you're going to have to use the rank operator, which I just opened up a ride um, editor and um, sure enough, got it to work where I added one, two, three to a matrix of one, two, threes and had to add some parentheses so that, you know, the ones didn't collide with the shape of the matrix, which is irritating, but it is what it is. And um, it's not in VQN. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Because of uh, stranding. Um, um, but so... Everything else, is that really the case? Because on the leading axis theory page of the APL wiki, and this is, this is actually, you know, I, I stumbled across this discovery or whatever you want to call it in the last couple months, is that um, I didn't really ever observe that there seems to be more categories in this everything else. Because a lot of the, what I think of as um, like bread and butter operations in APL because they're the ones that I first stumbled across are reduce, scan, and reverse and rotate. Um, because I love rotate. It's got a lot of uh, sort of jokes and memes in the C++ community of that's a rotate. And so when I discovered there was a rotate in APL, um, I fell in love with it. And 
all four of those operations, reduce, scan, reverse, and rotate, are all, like, I, I referred to them in my head as axis last operations, but it sounds like we just referred to it as trailing axis operations. I'm not sure if there's an actual um, word, but on the leading axis theory page, it has this table, um, and it refers to, like, in one of the rows of this table, it, use, it says, uses first axis form only, and then proceeds to list off reverse, rotate, replicate, reduce, expand, scan, and catenate. So all four of them showed up in that single row of what I thought were like the, not, I think bread and butter is like the wrong terms, but like they're the, some of the first verbs that I really learned and like associated with the language. And then I discovered later on that not all verbs or uh, functions work that way on the sort of last axis, and we'll correct my terminology if it's the wrong terminology in a sec, um, compared to like operations like match or unique that operate sort of, I didn't have the words for it, but it's on the major cells um, versus the last axis. So I guess uh, my question, one is, am I using the wrong terminology? Two, is there more of like a, like buckets of functions within the, like the non-scalar operations that you sort of said everything else? Um, are there different buckets of functions that some work on what I call the last axis, some work on um, the first axis? Although that's, that's the confusing part is that this table's that I consider the last axis functions, um, refer to them as use first axis form only. So there's a lot of confusion here on that. Like, I feel like there's this kind of taxonomy, like implicit taxonomy, but my guess is that array programmers, um, it's not implicit for them and they actually just, they know the categories of stuff. Anyways, yeah, I'll stop talking and... Well, okay, so what's happening here is that each of these functions is actually, well, and operators, is actually two operators. So there's uh, one that's um, that would have been considered at the beginning of APL, the, the normal version, which are the ones that you saw that act on the last uh, axis. And then there's also a first axis form that's written with a horizontal bar somewhere. So for slash, this is the slash bar, um, either slash. For rotate, this is the ugly one that's sideways. Um, and there are, uh, there are a few other. I think mostly it's just a, with, a, with a bar added to it. And so those are the first axis forms of those functions. Um, so I don't know if there's really any name for, for all of these. I would call them probably paired functions that have two axis forms. You know, just explain it. Um, so, so to be clear, just to clarify what Marshall's just pointed out, is that the reduce and scan that are listed in this table that I'm referring to are actually the reduce first and scan first with those horizontal slashes in them, which I have completely um, missed in that those versions aren't actually the last axis versions. They are the uh, first first axis. Yeah, first axis. And first are leading, last, and trailing. Those are, those are just equivalent. First and leading and last and trailing. So technically my terminology was correct. correct. Um, there's yeah, just yeah, it's fine. You just didn't know about the or miss the first axis versions of those functions. So why actually are reverse and rotate? Aren't those last axis, or are they actually the two, first the axis? two of them in APL? Right, there's the one in APL. The, sim the symbols for them are a circle with either vertical or a horizontal bar, and that bar uh, indicates the uh, so to say the the mirror surface. Of a, on, when you're dealing with a matrix, at least. So the oh. vertical bar, if you use them in that, at least a circle vertical bar, circle style, 
uh, it mirrors right left, right? And I and the one the circle with a horizontal bar, it mirrors top down. So I call it flip sometimes. Flip so yeah, I have total. I've told. I've misread this one row in this table twice. I've missed the horizontal lines, and also it says reverse comma rotate, and then in parentheses the uh, horizontal, as Marshall said, ugly um, version of the vertical one. And that applies to both reverse and rotate. For some reason, my brain read that, reverse, and then there's a missing vertical line with a circle, which I don't know why my brain was putting that there. And then when I saw rotate, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the rotate glyph. That's supposedly different than the vertical line one. So my brain just completely misread this. All of these are the first axis versions of reverse rotate reduce and scan interesting okay so a part of my confusion is that i can't read um <laughs> i think it's true for all of the first axis ones whenever there's a pair of first and last axis then in apl all the first axis ones will have a horizontal bar as part of their symbol so you've got comma bar comma with a and, and the minus on top of each other kind of and you have the circle bar and you've got slash bar and is this why more typically when I see array language people writing in APL, they prefer the reduce um, and scan first glyphs to just the regular slashes. Is this the reason? Is it because... Yes, definitely. Interesting. Well, so, um, yeah, we haven't gotten into the reason why, why you would prefer this in the leading axis model. Um, we can do that now if you want. We, we can do that now. We're going to have to talk about that Yeah. Now. Um, so the idea is we've said what the rank operator does, um, which is basically that it allows you to, um, well, it, it lets you to specify that you're working on the trailing axes. And another way to look at that is to say that you're mapping over the leading axes. Um, so the thing that these leading axis functions do, like if you have your, your plus slash bar function, which is going to do a sum... Uh, I mean, you might say it sums the columns of a table, but really what it's doing is summing the rows together. So it adds one row to the next row to the next row. Um, what, uh, what rank allows you to do with that is if you use this plus slash bar and you call that with rank one, then it's going to sum the cells of the rows of the argument, which is actually summing each row. So this plus slash bar allows you to sum in either direction of a matrix, and more generally you can sum along any direction in a, in a higher rank array. Um, and the simple plus slash, it's always going to sum the rows. And if you tell it the rank, it doesn't matter. Like if you say, all right, I've got a rank three array, I want to do plus slash on rank two here. Well, then it's going to say, all right, I'll do whatever I'm going to do on each uh, on each block, on each two cell of the array. And the thing that it does is to sum each one cell. So it's still the exact same thing, summing each one cell. So the idea, and this is the core of the leading axis model, is that having rank map over the leading axes and then defining your functions to work on the leading axes gives you uh, this whole flexibility to work on any axis if you combine them together. That is such a good... Oh, sorry, I got a little excited there. Uh... That, I never, yeah, I just totally, I hope I hope a couple of listeners just had the, um, I wouldn't say epiphany, but understanding from what you just said there. Because that is, I think, extremely non-obvious based on the 
default behaviors of reduce. We'll, we'll stick with reduce because I think that's the uh, easiest to explain on a podcast is that if you compare reduce versus reduce bar or reduce first um, and you apply that a plus reduce summing to a matrix, when you use reduce, it sums up row wise. And when you do, do reduce, reduce first, uh, it sums up column wise. And so that's how I just think about those two. It's like, oh, one does rows and one does columns. Um, but really, it's, it's not doing that. Like functionally, that's what's happening. Um, but it's what you said. You're summing the rows of a matrix or summing the elements of a row, which then end up having the same behavior as what I just described. But when you just stumble on the language and you, look, you start playing around as, oh, what does this do? What does that do? Um, it's completely non-obvious that that's the actual behavior if you're just messing around with sort of rank one vectors and rank two matrices. Bob? For, for, for reduce in J, what you're doing is your, whatever your operation is, say it's addition, you're adding items. And items are the negative one rank of whatever you're adding. So if you're, if you're in a matrix, a table, your items are now rows. So you're adding rows because you're adding items. When you have a, you know, a row and all the items are atoms, now your, your items are now atoms. And so reduce is actually adding, summing, in this case, items. And items can change depending on the shape of your array. If you have a, you know, a six-dimension array, items are going to be your five-dimension, whatever you'd call them, blocks, <laughs> hyperblocks. Um, those will be added together because you're adding items. And you've got a six-dimension array, so each of your items is going to be five dimensions. That's what I was calling major cells before, which is a bit of a technical term. The, the idea is... Yeah, yeah, that's the APL. Yeah, the, the idea is that you look on your array as a collection of arrays of a lesser rank with one less dimension. So there's like, you can look at it as an outer dimension and then some, a bunch of inner dimensions. But... Um, and so yeah, this, this is really a non-obvious thing. Epiphany is absolutely the correct word for it. Um, and specifically, this epiphany happened to Arthur Whitney on a train to the APL 82 conference in 1982. But to explain how non-obvious this is, this is something that I found out kind of recently, and I checked my memory on it today. Um, Iverson and Bob Bernecki basically described, um, they actually did define the concept of function rank, uh, but not the rank operator, in a 1980 paper uh, called uh, uh, Operators, Functions, and Enclosed Arrays. Um, so, and in that paper, they described an axis operator that says specifically which axes you want to work on. And so you have to list out all the axes, um, which is kind of weird. And also, not only that, the, um, the argument axes can be, you can select any ones. But then once your function operates, the result axes all go to the end of the function. So, um, so on the, the outgoing end, it actually works just like the rank operator. But in the ingoing end, it has, it's much more complicated and, and weird. Uh, but they actually did describe function rank, and they said the rank of a function is just the number of axes it works on. So, um, so like uh, reverse last, they would have said that that's a rank one function. And that concept was already there. But it took uh, two more years than Arthur Whitney, which is, you know, throwing quite a lot of processing power at it, um, to, uh, to develop the idea that actually all you need to do to have 
you know, pretty much as much flexibility as you want is to specify how many ranks the function has. And uh, we'll just say these are the, all the trailing ranks that it operates on, trailing axes. Interesting. That is... I think, I think we should include that this was a reaction to a problem in the design of APL. So we have to go way back to Iverson notation. So Iverson's notation, which is just like a generalization and, and um, application of, of traditional mathematical notation, um, and it looked very much like traditional mathematical notation, and it used it used a two D paper to write on uh, write his formulas on, and he only ever dealt, I think at least, only ever dealt with arrays up to rank two, so up to matrices, and Iverson loved matrices. I have this from. Roger Huey, that Iverson loved matrices. Um, uh, and, and so he, when you were applying things, then there were only these two axes that you could ever work on. Right? So either you could apply the first axis or you can apply the left axis. And that was it. And then he had the, he, he, I think he used like slash and double slash or something like that to choose, choose the axis. Um, then when they linearized, Iverson's notation into what became the APL programming language, meaning everything had to be discrete characters that could fit in a, in a typewriter. Uh, then they solved this problem by adding what's at least later has become as the bracket axis, possibly bracket axis operator, but it's a little bit iffy to call it an operator. Uh, it's more like bracket axis notation. And that's the idea that after a APL glyph, and you can write bracket axis. So you write open square bracket and then a number normally and then uh, close square bracket. And that tells that glyph on its left what axis to operate on. But it's very ad hoc to every built-in. So it might look like it does the same thing right. on all of them. But in reality, if you try to, to formulate what the rule is, you can't because each one of them is separate, entirely separately um, defined and you cannot generalize this. And so this was, I think, quite early on recognized as a little bit of a wart and, and also something if you want to define your own functions, you couldn't use bracket access because the system wouldn't know what it meant. Um, GNU APL actually has generalized it so that you can, you can in the header of a, a function, you can specify bracket access, and then this function can choose what to do with that, and then they kind of abuse it for just as an extra they, argument. They generalize the notation. Yeah. They didn't generalize the No, definition. no, they, because you can't, right? So that's why they felt the need to add it as an accessible syntax. That... Yeah, well, so that's why Iverson was developing an axis operator. Um, his idea was, I'll, I will take this axis concept and, and generalize it, and that turns out to be a, a pretty bad idea. Um, like, Yes, it's possible. It's very awkward to use, and you've got this problem that not only do you want to know where the argument axes come from, you also really want to know where the result axes go to. So if you wanted to specify all that, I mean, that's a whole lot of numbers that you're throwing at it to do one operation. Can you give an because I don't think I fully grokked the axis operator. Is there like a simple example on like a matrix? Like it sounds like... Well, so we'll, we'll talk about scan. So uh, let's say, we'll say you're starting... Actually, I guess it's going to make more sense if we say you're starting with a scan operator that works on uh, on rows. You just have the the non-barred slash. Um, so then, what you would do is give it 
use the axis operator and say I want to run on axis uh, zero, I think, whatever the first one is. Um, mm -hmm. And then what it would do would actually be to split up the argument uh, into the vectors that go along that axis. It would split it up into its actual columns in that case and do a scan on each column. And uh, then here's where things get really weird, is that the the result of scanning one column, the column's a list, so the result is a list. Uh, and then it would put those results together into an array. But uh, then you'd have uh, the result of scanning on a column would turn into a row, because it doesn't know which axis they should make up in the result. So um, that's kind of the model they had going. That was the state of art, the art in uh, 1980. Wait, so... Uh, let's make that example a bit more concrete. So you're you're doing a plus scan, and you specify axis zero. And let's say we have the matrix uh, one two three one two three one two three in a three by three form. So it's three rows of one two three. Yeah, yeah. What's the result of that? It would break off the column one one one. Yeah. Plus scan that you get one two three. Yeah. That's the first row of the result. Uh, column two 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 plus scan you get two four six. That's the second row. I see. Um, so it's actually the, the transpose of the first right. axis plus right. scan as we gotcha. have in APL. And you're saying the issue there is that potentially if you're doing a plus scan column-wise using this axis operator, you want it in the same form that you might see it using the scan first in APL where it wouldn't have the transpose result. Or maybe you do want it the way that it's doing it, but you just, you're at the... Uh, well, almost always you want it the same. Right, right. You want what APL does now. Right. So, I mean, the problem is you have an arbitrary function. It takes uh, some, some dimension of array in, like for matrix division, say it's two dimensions in and two dimensions out. And that's, of course, twice as bad because now you have two axes that you have to figure out where they go. Um, and so Iverson wanted to be able to say, I'll take, uh, even for a matrix product, this is actually an example they gave, a matrix product with rank like... Actually, yeah, the one that was in the paper was was a uh, axis operator zero one semicolon one zero so it's going to take the the first two axes of the left argument and then the first two axes of the right argument but reverse those axes so it does a transpose and then you do the matrix uh, product and then I guess those axes go to the end of the result so that's uh that's just really complicated and I mean if you try to implement that you can't implement that efficiently uh, there's no way. And so another nice thing about the rank operator is that because it always splits its arguments into cells, which come together in memory, it's very easy to pick a cell out of an array. And uh, that means that if you write a function with the rank operator, it's going to have at least like a minimally efficient right. uh, implementation. Yeah, that is very um, that's very interesting. So I'm, I'm also starting to realize, too, that I think my mental model of going into this was... Uh, not entirely wrong, but just I had this view of the, the taxonomy of functions that I said existed. Really, what it is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Marshall, is that in, in, in BQN, really, it is just scalars and then yeah. everything else which works with the rank operator. I'm sure there's some functions that don't work with the, with the rank operator, but um, all the ones that do sort of behave in the same way, which is why there's really only two categories. Whereas in APL, if you skip back to, I guess, Depending on how far you skip back, you know, the rank operator wasn't in introduced into Dialog APL, or I'm not sure if it was introduced. In Dialog, it was, uh, it was 20, 2013 or so. It was in 14. Uh, okay. 
So actually pretty recent. And so it's, th it's that uh, APLs weren't designed initially with this idea at all because it was a decade and a half before it, it, it um, you know, Arthur Whitney came up with it. And then since then, which is why they have this table, they've evolved the language such that they've added second versions of um, operators and functions so that they have basically like the leading axis theory version of it, which they call, you know, they used to have reduce, now they have reduce first. They used to have scan, now they have scan first. So that is actually the wrong way around. So it's, um, the, the, it's the wrong way around? Yeah, the, these, uh, these paired forms with the two axes, uh, they recognized that it was useful. Um, and so they add the two of them already. I mean, maybe you want to, and that goes back, yeah, even uh, the paper A programming language had these pairs where, um, for example, it would have slash and you'd write actually two slashes for a reduction along the first axis of a matrix. Um, Interesting. And in that way, you wouldn't even, uh, because Iverson's at that time was really doing just matrix arithmetic pretty much. Um, you never needed to say the axis, really. I mean, I think that he may have defined uh, the, a bracket axis thing or, or some sort of axis specification. Uh, but he certainly didn't use it much in that paper, and he wouldn't have when he was teaching with APL. But those paired forms are, are there from the beginning, and the, the leading axis idea is that, well, you actually only need one. Well, you as they do, you only really needed one, even when they added the bracket axis, right? Because bracket axis will completely ignore yeah. whatever it, you you give it. Again, it's ad hoc, so it doesn't matter if you say plus slash. So that's that's the reduction, some reduction, uh, or plus slash bar, which is plus reduction in the first axis. It doesn't matter if you put bracket axis after it. They will just then you will just overwrite whatever its inherent thing does is, and then along some other axes. And that was then a solution to the problem they had that Iverson was using a single slash and double slash and that wouldn't work in a generalized system with any number of axes. I mean, that would be unbearable. Yeah, but it's, um, in that case, the language isn't, now it's not just providing you with two operators, it's providing you with a whole family of them. So, um, leading axis, you actually just define one thing and then, as a matter of definition, can apply it to others. Uh, I mean, that's that's an aspect of composability in APL. That doesn't mean they're not, not useful, by the way. Yes, they are sufficient. Yeah, it just means that there are more of them. It's a, it's a more complicated language. You have, to, uh, you have to know more things about the language to be able to use it. What does access do on this function? Yeah, but it does provide some, for some... And I mean, of course, uh, it was still revolutionary at the time, but um, I and a lot of other people think that this leading access model is... Uh, well, objectively, it's a simpler language it leads to, and I think it's a better trade-off in terms of your language design. So my next question, I guess, is, and hopefully the listener's still following along, um, and then maybe, uh, Bob, after Marshall answers, answers this, you can comment if there's differences or um, in J, is that um, surprisingly in BQN, if you're coming from APL, you'll try and do plus slash, which is... Uh, really plus fold and it's a superscript operator and if you try and do that on a matrix it'll go bam, bam, sorry that doesn't work and then you're like what this works in J this works in APL um, and then very quickly because the documentation for BQN is phenomenal 
um, you go to your little uh, BQN to APL, Dialog APL translator page, um, and then you look it up, and you have to add, I think what it's called, cells, which is another superscript operator. So all the operators in BQN are, are superscript. And um, so that means we have basically, and which cells is like, a, I don't know how you want to describe it, in, uh, sort of. A... Cells is just rank minus one. That's, that's exactly what it is. Or I was going to say, like, visually, it's a... Uh... Like oh, a, oh, it's a it's a brave symbol. Um, it's a it's a with, little moon. So what was it called? A grave symbol. Brave, b r e v e. B r e v e. So it's kind of like a circumflex, but rounded. Yeah. Think think it's a half it's circle. A circle yeah. that opens up. The bottom half of a circle, but yeah. super square. We'll call it a cup. Um, so <laughs> in order to get it to work, uh, you have to go plus uh, slash, which is the fold, and then the cells, and so and so you also so you have. You, in terms of the superscript operators, um, and maybe you can add to this list, but the so we have basically fold, scan, insert, which is basically like two slashes, and then the cells. Yeah, and insert is actually the one that you want um, for talking about leading axis model. So the fold just works on lists. It's, uh, it's not actually a leading axis thing at all. Um, insert is the one that works like J, uh, which is the two, two ticks. Um, so... I mean, they'll be pretty similar if you're um, if you're applying to rows, but um, that's the one that does the leading axis stuff is the insert. And you were asking about about asking about J. Um, as soon as Martin uh, Marshall said, uh, you know, cells are you know negative one rank. That's items in J, and that's how J handles it. It just refers to items. Yeah. Well, the I, I mean, rank operator negative one is the definition of the cells. Um, Okay. And it's called a modifier. But, but in, in J, they just assume that you're working with items. Well, yeah, but if you want to, like, if you want to sum the rows of an array, you have to, in J, you have to write the number one or, or minus one. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah and in yeah, BQN, right. you just have one nice symbol for it that's, yeah. uh, that's hard to describe, but it's easy to see. Yeah, you've got, um, a, you've got a symbol that represents the minus one rank as opposed to J, which you're actually putting the number in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very nice, and is uh is what you need to use like maybe two thirds of the time even. Um, so it's very convenient. Yeah, items or cells are very useful, no doubt about that. If you if you set up your the other thing that is worth mentioning in this is all of this presupposes that when you've got your information into an array format, you've put the information in the right order in terms of dimensions because if you mix up your dimensions you can work completely against what you're trying to do with items or cells or leading access and you're going to have to do a transpose to get it back to where you can actually use it efficiently wow um all right i just tested something while there was conversation for the last 30 seconds so i just discovered so well where do i start so the double tick what, which is called insert in BQN, is the same thing as uh, reduce first, correct? In, in APL. Not quite. Um, it is the same as sharp APLs, uh, uh, reduce first, but which is where Iverson was working. But the, uh, the APL2 family actually does something slightly different, which is um, it works element-wise. So... Actually, the, the dialogues reduce first is equivalent to um, J or B. Well, you can only really say it in BQN. It's, it's equivalent to each insert. So it works on one element at a time. Well, the, the evaluation order, I think, is different. But 
It's the same basic idea. It works at one element at a time opposed to a APL, which does what? Or dialog APL? It, it doesn't matter if you're using plus because plus all, is already working element at the time as I started off with. But if you use anything else, like let's say you use conc yeah, conc concatenation, then there's a huge difference, right? If you, let's say you have a, a, you have the, a matrix, three by three matrix, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Right? Now, if you, if the insertion here or reduction um, considers each row as a whole entity and you then reduce, then you would have one, two, three concatenated with four, five, six concatenated with seven, eight, nine. Okay. So that gives you one long vector. Whether or not it's enclosed is not so important. Um, if you do it element-wise, then it's kind of like comma, uh, concatenate each. So it would be one, two, three, concatenate each with four, five, six, concatenate each with seven, eight, nine. So essentially what you get is uh, one, four, seven are concatenated together and two, five, eight are concatenated together and then three, six, nine, those are the columns. So essentially in APL, if you do, so concatenation is comma, if you do comma slash bar, that's reduced first on a matrix, then it will give you the columns as vectors. Whereas in J or BQN, if you do the equivalent, it will just merge together the rows into a single uh, vector. Okay. Now you can achieve the you can achieve the APL uh, the APL results just by adding an each to to J or yeah, which is why I ended up. Um, so I think of these as three different kinds of reductions. There's the pure list thing that only BQN has. Well, K also does that, but um, BQN among multi-dimensional array languages has that. Um, and then there's J's insert, which comes from Sharp APL, and there's this APL two family. Um, element-wise reduction. And I decided that the best combination was the first two of those because um, it's the easiest to get that uh, element-wise version out of the insert. So say those three versions again. There's the... There's a pure list reduction. I mean, what you would see in Lisp or, or uh, uh, another functional programming language that doesn't really connect with array. And that's your... And that's your BQN fold that doesn't exist in Dialog APL or J, but does exist in K? Yes, that, that's the only one K has. Because K doesn't have, uh, I mean, it represents multidimensional arrays as lists of lists. So it doesn't have any native multidimensional array type. And so the only thing that makes sense is to do a, a list reduction. Although you might actually say that's the same as J's insert. I mean, it, it sort of collapses these concepts together when you're representing arrays this way. Because you might say that, well, the elements of the list are actually the cells of the array, if you think of it as a multidimensional array. So, um, so K kind of has both, but um, in terms of what the implementation's doing, I would say that it's the list fold is what it does. Um, and then, so BQN is basically K's version that's split up into its two things. Well, what if you think of it as a list of lists versus what if you think of it as, a, as an array of cells? Is your head hurting yet, Connor? No, no. I mean, like, I feel bad for the. I'm. I'm. Well, I. I don't. There's two categories of listeners. Like I said, there's the a array programmer that thinks it's great that uh, there's a podcast that talks about their favorite paradigm now, uh, or one of their favorite paradigms. That's probably going. Oh yeah, this is you know some bread and butter stuff. Um, 
And then there's the beginner whose head's probably being like, you know what, uh, I'm done with this paradigm because this is, um, seems overly complicated. Um, but that's just, I mean, admittedly, this is a difficult conversation because we've got, you know, primarily we're focusing on J, uh, Dialog APL, and BQN here, all of which have sort of overlap. Like there's a Venn diagram of these operators and um, understanding that Venn diagram requires understanding this concept of rank and leading access theory. I thought that the, um, so, so just for the listener, BQN, once again, their fold is the superscript slash, and then the insert is a superscript slash slash. I just realized, I looked up on JNuvoc, that insert is what they call um, the slash in J. So we've now got the double, sl double slash in BQN is called insert, and that follows basically J's insert, which I didn't even realize that J's insert and now BQN's double slash uh, insert are both basically the leading access theory ones. And you said there was a slight difference between uh, the APL, dialog APL, uh, reduce first, which is sort of the element by element versus um, what's the terminology for not saying element by element, treating them just as items? We don't know. We don't, we don't know what the terminology is. Uh, but it just does uh, it does whatever it does. Which which is confusing because, um, well, the reason it's confusing is that for certain operations, uh, the the behavior is identical. Which is you know we had to yeah, we had well, to switch um, the for everything you could possibly do in APL three hundred and sixty, which was um, which was just arithmetic operations reductions, uh, they're exactly the same. There's no way to tell the difference. Which is why um, when APL kind of split into this sharp family and the APL two family the uh, flat versus nested models, um, they were able to extend this in two different ways. Uh, and either language could have chosen either either direction, I think. Um, well, I, I don't think that the element-wise thing would make much sense in the, in the flat model in, in Sharp APL. But, uh, no, I, I think the leading access gives you a lot more power than the, than the, the Well, element. they both work on the leading access. Access. It's just. Uh, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just do you connect elements across the leading axis, or do you just split it into? And itself? and Connor, when you're talking about what a um, a beginner's going to get from this, I think probably the best advice is probably pick one of these languages and work with rank on that. We're right now we're talking about comparisons between the different languages, and and that becomes quite difficult. Although, if you know one of them, I'm learning a tremendous amount um, listening to how BQN and APL do it, um, because it, it, it clarifies a lot for me, because I understand J. If I was to suggest anything for somebody to understand, J's rank is probably, I'm trying to think of the chapter numbers, but there's two chapters of Henry Rich's book that really go into detail on rank of objects and then rank of uh, verbs, which is what we call functions in J. Yeah, I think uh, verbs have rank is the name. Verbs have rank, and we'll put links in, but they're, they're excellent. And when you start out, it's going to take you several readings to get a sense of it. And if you really want your mind blown, you can stack the applications of the rank and do some very interesting things with that. So you can break your object into chunks and then take those chunks and break them again. And especially if you're working with something like catenate, which is uh, infinite rank, 
you can do some amazing combinations with it. But that really is the power of rank, but that's not where you start out. So what are the, I've come to the realization now that there are two different ways to sum the rows in a matrix with what is provided in BQN, and maybe it's the same case in J. Um, the first way is plus slash, which is the fold, superscript fold, and then cells. Um, how do you spell it with the, so that's numero uno, uh, numero deuce, dos? I actually don't know uh, what the next one is. Numero two. <laughs> I apologize to our uh, Spanish speakers. Oh, that's um, Spanish. <laughs> Is I it? Don't I don't know. We're making up languages now. It's dose. Dose, thank you. I was surprised no one helped me out there. I just left me out to try. Um, how do you spell it with the uh, plus insert? And then I, I tried rank one, but that does not do, or I'm not spelling it correctly. Is there? I assume there's a way to do it. Uh, that should work. Oh, no. Yeah, it does. It does work. I just don't know math. Right. And you can use either one with cells, too, with the cells modifier. Um, the difference is that when you take, um, when you do a sum with plus, plus fold of a list, um, the result of that, uh, and now this concept you can't even express in APL and J, the result is a number that is not an array. Um, so it removes a layer of depth. When you do a plus insert, what it's actually adding together are not the individual numbers, but uh, zero cells that contain the numbers. And so the result is an enclosed number. Um, and so what you want is actually uh, when, you're doing, when you're doing a reduction on an array, uh, like if you want to add some of the rows, you want to use insert because the depth of the argument is the same as the depth of the result. And uh, the reason why this is practically an issue is that if you have not a matrix of numbers, say, but a matrix of lists of numbers, say you've got a matrix of coordinate pairs, um, then when you do fold on uh, one of these lists, it's going to add all the coordinate pairs, and the result is a coordinate pair. But then if you take that um, with rank, then the result is going to say each of these coordinate pairs is a row of the result. So it's going to uh, merge those all together into one n by two matrix, which is probably not what you want. Um, especially given that like this matrix could actually, maybe it would have lists of length two on the first row and length three on the second row, and so on. So you do want uh, plus insert cells, because then the result of each reduction is going to be an enclosed coordinate pair. And the final result when it merges those together is, ju is just going to be a list of the pairs. Mind blown. And uh... and is that because it's a based system, Marshall? Is that what that comes from? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the reason. Um, well, you would have, uh, like, if you introduce this, uh, this list reduction function to APL, you would have the same problem. But the difference that the based system makes is that there is a difference between an enclosed number and a not enclosed number. So you can actually see the difference even for lists of numbers. Uh, for APL, the, I would say that the, for lists of numbers, the problem is kind of like forcibly removed by saying that a number is the same as an enclosed number. Um, but you still have the problem with a list of pairs of numbers or something like that. And for J, we get around that by boxing because we're on flat. Um, sort of. Same thing. I mean, if you had the 
a function that took a list of boxes and summed the elements together, you would end up with that same problem um, if it didn't return a boxed yeah. value. Um, and, and you just don't have... Yeah, where you get around the problem for a plain list of numbers is that you can't have a... A list of numbers has nothing like inside it in J. There's, yeah. I mean, uh, underneath you can say there are numbers, but if you try to take an element of the list, you still get a rank zero array. You don't get like a plain number. There's no such concept. So it, it'll implicitly force it up to rank or to depth zero because that's the lowest depth it has, mm -hmm. which would correspond to depth one in BQN. I'm thinking now about how I feel about all of this um, because... Me too. <laughs> a part of me, like the, I think the reason that I fell so quickly in love with APL was, you know, just going to tryapl.org or .com or whatever it is. It's .org, right, Adam? Yeah. Um, and then I just went, you know, plus slash iota. I think I did iota first because um, we have that in C++. And I was like, oh, that was... Took me one character, whatever, plus a number, um, where it stood colon colon iota paren, um, and then you have to before even that you have to initialize a you know container usually a vector and then you gotta you know it's just a mess. Then you need to define the iterators and now we have views. But the point is, took one character versus like twenty in C plus 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 a whole hell of a lot of knowledge about where you know things live in which headers and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And then uh, in order to add that list, I just went plus slash, and I was like, holy, that was easy again. And, um, you know, uh, and so the reason I'm saying I'm sitting here trying to wonder how I feel about this is that experience, um, it's, it's extremely, I think, easy for a, a newcomer to just like, um, I, think, I think there is actually something special about coming from C++ if you are not like, uh, you know, uh, if, if you are a curious person that is open to different paradigms and, you know, aren't going to be like, well, how, what, where is the performance graph on this? Is this faster or slower? If you're, if you're just, if you're interested, um, coming from C++ really sets you up uh, to sort of be wowed because of how succinct everything is. And there's a lot of stuff that maps from our algorithm header. Um, but with this stuff, so like technically in a leading axis theory, pure array language, um, you know, maybe BQN, uh, you might refer to it like that, but like if you were to remove the fold and just have the insert and you wanted to sum the rows of a matrix, which I think from my experience is very common thing you want to do when you're solving little, you know, fun trivia leak code problems. It's a very common thing that comes up. You now went from plus slash and just putting the matrix there, uh, to plus insert rank one. Um, which like, I, I, I can see the argument of, you know, this is, it's the better model. You, you, it's what Aaron Shu would say about when I complained about the power set, um, expression in order to generate all possible combinations of whatever length. And I went to APL co uh, cart and, uh, it was like, I don't know, 16 characters or something. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, uh, 16, like this is, this is way more complicated than I thought it should be in. Aaron had this response talking about, you know, it's when you really learn the language, all the little tools and pieces that you need to build up that expression, like give you so much more power at the end of the day. But then there's this, there's always this argument or 
there's this line of like, um, how much power do we want to give them? Um, do we expect a beginner to like learn? Uh, anyways, I feel like my my monologue of uh, how I'm feeling right now is becoming incoherent. But the point being is like there's a, there's a trade off between like complexity and and beginner simplicity and like what's the best version of this? Yeah. So I have some similar doubts. I think I, I blame a different aspect on this. I would say, um, well, the thing with rank is that um, you're, uh, I, I guess I'll go into the move from Axis to rank. I mean, so yeah, rank definitely works better than Axis did um, as APL started. However, Axis is a whole lot easier to understand. Um, and I would say that's because it's more explicit in a sense. Um, so the way I think of rank is sort of that it's, uh, for array programming, it's a lot like assembly language because um, it's, uh, it, it leaves everything implicit. It, it forces you to work out what is the number, the rank I want. And then you encode that in this very compact way. You say there's a single number that says what I want to operate on. But the axes of your argument arrays are something that you have to keep entirely in your head. So it's not like, um, like say, assembly would deal with types. Each uh, assembly instructions tells you what types you want to work on. But you don't have any high-level picture of what type is this value, what type is that value. You just say, add as floats these two registers, add as ints these two registers. So I think uh, the leading axis model in that way is very low level. So it's a really elegant representation of a low level computation. But I am really also interested in looking at how would you express this at a high level. Um, and the tool that I think does a really good job of that is um, it's not a general tool. And so making it a general tool is still a challenge. But um, Einstein's summation notation, which you'll see in a NumPy package like Einsum, uh, which which does give you, uh, it gives names to all the axes. So I think the naming axes is a much higher level view, and I'd like to see a programming language that really takes advantage of that, which, I mean, the best we have now for that is really the old school Fortran paradigm where you have each uh, index loops over, you know, this axis or that axis, and you uh, index everything with brackets. But I think there's uh, room for a, for a much higher level view that takes array programming semantics, but encodes them in a, in a really different way uh, to get. Uh, and, and your code would be longer, definitely. But it would also be more explicit and more uh, naturally intuitive. And it would say, you know, what it's working with rather than just what it does to it. Have you seen the um, program or heard of the programming language Dex? Yeah. So uh, that, that is. Uh, does that does that do anything, something close to that? A little bit. Um, I mean, it does have named axes, but I think it doesn't really, uh, like you still, you still manually line up all your correspondence between axes. So um, one of the ideas I've been thinking about is uh, what you would re really would like is, um, is to say your function takes these two, um, like if you have matrix multiplication, you want to take a matrix with axes A and B and a matrix with axes B and C. And then like you should be able to uh, add these matrices together and it should no, I mean, maybe you have to say that I want to pair the equal axes. But it should know that axes B to go together and A and C go on their own. Um, so that's an idea that I've been looking at that I don't think Dex has anything like that. Adam, do you have 
thoughts on BQN versus APL, like versus uh, because uh, like I'm in, 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 I'm, I mean, I'm kind of double mind about this because yeah, I, I, it seems more pure like J already, and then and then BQN maybe takes it to extreme, but then it comes down to practical needs. It actually needs to get something done. Then I often find that okay, so APLs might be less powerful or like have more built-ins that are technically speaking redundant because you can easily do the same thing. Um, but it's really convenient. I, I find that APL is much better at being, uh, at making the common actions easy. So the fact that, that let's say I want all the sums of the columns and the rows of a matrix. So it's like to check some like magic squares and things like that. The fact that I can write uh, things like in, in APL plus slash bar comma plus slash as a fork. Um, so that plus slash bar, that's the column sums, plus slash, that's the row sums. And I just concatenate together. Now I've got all the sums. That's really convenient. It even looks good in my opinion. Yeah, and so that is, uh, that's where BQN sells helps not it doesn't get you back to APL but it gets you closer because you write plus um, plus fold uh, join with uh, plus well you want insert not fold plus insert join plus insert cells and so you've only got that one extra character in there it's not quite as good as APL but it's pretty close whereas in J if you got the rank one it's not quite as nice Oh, but, but it goes much further, right? Let's say that we're dealing with like rotations of a matrix, of flipping a matrix. Um, and then then it gets kind of ugly when you need to special decorators everywhere for the, all the different combinations of it. Um, so I, I was not actually, I, I described this circle with a vertical bar or a horizontal bar. And there's also the, the, the backslash, which is transpose. And I was not originally designed uh, a ton of these symbols, like every combination of vertical bars and horizontal bars and things so that you can, you can flip and mirror and rotate whatever, everything in, into whatever possibility exists. And, um, and, and APL part that down to just the three of them. And, but you can pair them up two and two to get what you want. And there, even more so, it gets kind of ugly to have to have extra decorators. I, I, I totally understand the reason why you would want that. If I was to make things from scratch, I might also do that. But there's still something about it just being so convenient and so intuitive that a circle with a vertical bar, it does things horizontally. And a circle with a horizontal bar, it does things vertically. That sounds opposite, but I mean, it's, the bar is indicating the, the line of, that you rotate over the, the, the mirror surface. Um, yeah, and there's really nothing I can say about that. Yeah, it is nicer. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, there's something... I feel like a lot of the times what I want is like BQN plus dialog APL. Like there's the, there's like a Venn diagram and like, um, like what was it yesterday? I tweeted, uh, um, the formula for a number of permutations, um, which is like N factorial divided by N minus K factorial. Um, and I realized that those two factorials, that's the over, that's the psi combinator. And then N shows up twice. So you can use a dyadic fork, AKA a phi one combinator. 
and then poof in like five characters and then i was like all right i'll go do this in bqn and then bqn changed the factorial function to be an assert and then i went to the page and then it was there was no glyph for factorial and, uh, and then yeah, I was, you got to implement it yourself. And then I was just like, oh, well, this is an expression I, uh, I like better in APL. But then half the time, because there's before and after, which are like, I mean, I mean, I think just because of before and after, like BQN edges out above any other array language um, because they're just so, so convenient and like um, necessary, in my opinion, I'll, if you're a Combinator fan. But anyways, my point being here, because I'm just rambling, is... Uh, is that yeah? I, I a part of me is like this this trade off of you mentioned all Iverson had you know originally designed all the different symbols is like I'm just like let's just have all the symbols I just want I want everything to be a symbol um, but then obviously that's at some point you there's a diminishing whatever returns of what you're requiring you know obviously three thousand symbols is too much or is it I don't know the Chinese you have to learn like eight thousand symbols to speak Chinese so maybe it's not. I, I think there's kind of an analogy here between um, modern automobiles and older automobiles that what we've developed in automobiles is very efficient, very uh, powerful, very controlled uh, items that we really can't work on anymore. <laughs> because if you lift the, lift the hood, it's all hidden to you. And I think when you first meet one of these languages, what you're seeing is that kind of a thing. You see this thing that does this amazing thing for you whenever you want, does them really fast and really simple. I do this. But then you decide, I don't exactly want to do that. I want to do something slightly different. And what that requires is you have to go in under the hood and figure out what's going on in there and then figure out how you're going to do it. And each of these languages gives you the tools to do that. But that level is never going to be what I would refer to as simple because you actually have to know how things are working under the hood as opposed to hopping behind the wheel and hitting the accelerator. And I, I think that's probably what you're hitting. And it doesn't make the languages uh, harder to learn on an initial basis, but what I found and what I really actually enjoy about J, why I still stay with J, is because that learning curve just keeps on going and going and going. There's always something more to figure out, at least for me. I think probably Marshall and, and Adam are beyond that. They're, they're, they're you know, <laughs> running off and you know, designing their Ferraris and stuff. But I'm still learning that stuff that's under the hood, and it's, it's just an ongoing adventure to find that stuff. You have to be able to want to do that to really enjoy those aspects of the language. It, it, I don't think it will ever be easy, but... The languages are still very easy to use on a surface if they're doing what you want them to do. I think there has to be some kind of level. Uh, yeah, sure. You could have a super simple language that can do anything, technically speaking, except the humans can't keep up because it's because it's too much work. Like some Turing tar pit language. Yeah, you can do anything. Of course you can. But you can't actually practically do anything. And then on the other end of the, the spectrum where you provide enormous amounts of built-in things um, and then the human can't keep up anyway because you can't keep that vocabulary in the head. So you have to find the balance uh, there somewhere. Um, and there's, it's not an exact science and it's probably depends on the individual and so on. So 
I don't think there's much we can do other than making up some arbitrary constraints. Like K has a famous con constraint. It's the ASCII symbols you can type on like a normal keyboard. The printable printable ASCII has to stay there and and numerics and and letters those are out because you use those for numbers and identifiers and so all those the special ASCII glyphs those are that's the entire language basically and uh, and I think both BQN and and APL are limited also by the keyboard in a sense but like you can only have two extra symbols on every key on a normal keyboard and that's it so we, both of them are getting to that limit and that's well, BQN hasn't really run up against it, and um, and I'm not planning on going any further, so I I would not say BQN is limited. Anymore. Oh, if I look at the BQN key map, pretty much every key has two symbols on it, extra three BQN symbols. No, but there there are a pretty good number of of keys left if I wanted to add things. I just don't want to add things. Yeah, uh, the same thing for APL. Um, there there are a few more holes there, and I think that's a pretty good uh, number. It's also interesting too because Think about the human interface things. Why do computer keyboards have the number of keys they have, like standard keyboard, hundred and something keys? Um, that seems to be like what humans can deal with. If you give them a lot and lot of keys, then they don't know where to find them anymore. If you give them too few keys, then they're frustrated. That requires a lot of fiddling with shifting keys and so on to get to what they or sequences to get what they need. So it's some balance like that. Um, all right, two, we've, I totally lost track of time because I've just been, um, one, enjoying this conversation and learning a ton, but also, two, just like I'm like lost in thought because um, I kind of just like Matrix downloaded a bunch of stuff into my brain, so now that I understand it, uh, I, that's what I'll be thinking about for the next week while I'm going on runs. So I know rank two. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Connor, did you notice that we've been speaking all about leading access and, and the rank operator and so on? We haven't even really gone into transpose and how important it is for all of this. So I vote that Marsha has to come back to continue this with the second part, which is transpose. Yes, part two to come. I didn't even know that there was a, well, I haven't gotten to the point where I understand that transpose is uh, important. But so the, the two things that I'll say now is that I think my big sort of um, uh, eureka slash epiphany is that is it's these different ways. So I already, this, these different ways to spell um, doing things on uh, a row-wise basis, a.k.a. rank one. So previously I had sort of read out, and I, I, I said mistakenly that it didn't work, but it definitely does work. Um, so there's plus fold cells. That works on a matrix. There's plus insert rank one, and that's the same way you would say the J solution is plus insert rank one. And then in APL, it's uh, plus slash, or so I'll say plus reduce is one way to spell it. There's also plus reduce first, rank one. And then I also tried plus reduce rank one, which I didn't expect to work. But does when you use rank on, because reduce first is the leading axis uh, theory version that is rankable uh, for lack of a better way to describe it. But can you also, is, is the reduce one also rankable or is that just... It works for rank one and doesn't work for other ranks, or it technically works, right? You can, but it has an inherent. So the normal you're talking about reduced normal slash, right? That just looks at the rows. Yeah, which is it's completely redundant to say rank one after it because it's already that's the yes. But you could do. I mean, not that it makes much sense, but you could do a 
uh, a rank zero on it, and it will sum every number on its own, which would be a no difference because a number itself added up is itself. But yes, it it's still rank operator is completely general, it applies to any function, in, including plus slash. It's just not very useful because like you'd never want to do that. If you used uh, zero as your rank operator with that reduce, and and could you create each number being a list by doing the catenate in front of it? Well, you um, like could you create lists that way of of atoms, single atoms to to lists, or does it work that way? Reduce on one element never does anything; yeah. it just returns right. it. Okay. This... Which is actually kind of an inconsistency sometimes. Uh, well, in J, list on one element returns a one item list, right? No. If I, if I catenate. Um, no. I don't think so. I don't. Everybody's frantically typing uh. into the J interpreter. <laughs> <laughs> while, while Marshall types and figures that out. Uh, so the point here. No, no, it, it gives you a, an atom. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't. So reducing over a single element never does, uh, over a, a scalar never does anything. And okay. if you do rank zero, then you the function will only ever see scalars, and then not do anything. So that so not useful. Yeah. Does it apply? Yeah, technically it applies. It'll probably make performance be really bad. <laughs> Doing nothing, the terrible performance. Although I do have to say the BQN just makes any any reduction on a rank zero array an error. Uh, usually it says, I mean, if there's no axes, you can't do anything on that axis. Interesting. So we've got we've got reduces, reduce firsts, uh, inserts, and folds. And really, the reduce from dialog APL is the odd one out, kind of, because um, the reduce first slash insert are the ones that sort of, you know, we talked about the differences or... Marshall explained the differences. Um, anyway, so that's that's sort of my eureka. If you were a beginner and following along, and you managed to have that eureka as well, then you've you're no longer you've... a beginner. Yeah. So the the last question, I I, I usually say that that uh, rank operator and uh, dyadic transpose those are the key to the array, keys to the array kingdom. Wow. Which if you master if you master those, then the rest is just vocabulary. Because those two together give you access to to manipulate, like like lit in in literal sense of the word manipulate, like literally twist your arrays around, exposing their insides in whichever way you want, and now you can apply things. What you apply is a matter of vocabulary, but those two things are what are essentials to be able to apply things. And and just just to finish up, what I was thinking about with with the uh, with the catenate. It was not reduce catenate um, item or uh, rank zero. If you just catenate rank zero, that's what we'll do. It'll create lists of each each individual one. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's Ravel. Though. That's Ravel. Yeah. Yeah. So dyadic transpose rank yeah. sounds like uh, the Eye of Agamotto from Doctor Strange. You got that? You can turn back time. Um, I'm not, sh and I'm not sure if we have last time for this <laughs> last question, but. Um, it's it's less about uh, the the theory of this stuff and more I think um, was it Joel Kaplan on our last episode or it might have been Stephen After I can't remember which one of the two but made a comment with respect to um, Arthur Whitney um, I think it was Joel Kaplan who, who said that Arthur 
will throw away ideas when he, you know, he'll, he'll come up with something and then, you know, he's not afraid to let go of it and made that remark specifically with respect to rank. Um, and that, um, sort of, as you mentioned in 82, he was the one that came up with it, but then, uh, rank doesn't exist in K is, is there, um, does anyone have any insight into Arthur? Does he think that rank was a bad idea and, and like came up with it and then the rest of the rake community ran off with it. And then he, he later on was just like, yeah, that was a bad idea. Um, or, or no, 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 not at all. I I've seen the emails from him where he's even considering adding, uh, rank or it would really be a depth operator to k um as well so it, it does have a little just kind of like pkn has these these shortcut um monadic operators which are just their their big brother uh equivalents with a right operand of negative one so you have cells which is really a specific instance of the rank is just rank negative one um then k has has each like um apl and, and bqn has as well and j has as a keyword um or Q, a, a, what's it called the standard library word um so k has each and then it has each left and each right and each left and each right are are very much uh specific instances of using the rank operator and that that is pairing up the entire one argument with each element on the on the right or each element on the left and then that means that you can then increase the rank on one side by adding multiple of these you could say each right each right each right each right kind of thing but it's they consider it fairly rare to need that kind of thing but there i've seen cases where they wanted that and it became ugly to do it in k and then arthur reacted with well maybe it's time to introduce uh, the general operator again so i think he, he keeps it in the back of his mind like it might be a possibility if necessary um but there's no denying i mean this is just a question of trade-offs and uh k is definitely an easier language to learn and use than apl in some cases where you have high rank arrays k is going to be a lot more awkward to use but it's also more straightforward to figure out what you need to do probably so i mean k is a smaller simpler language in terms of the primitives it has and so there's, uh, you definitely can't say that Whitney just made a mistake in removing rank. It's just that he chose to go in a different direction. And I might be wrong about this, but I always get the sense when people talk about Arthur designing languages, he's designing for a purpose. And when he designed K, it's like you're trying to design a double A fuel dragster, right? You're not going to put coffee cups in it. It doesn't need them. Take them out. And then maybe, maybe down the road, there's something you go, you know what, but I could use, I could use power steering on this thing. So maybe I'll put that back in. Maybe that's worthwhile. But it's because his purpose is not to do a general purpose, I think, with K. It was to be able to go in and deal very quickly, very efficiently with huge amounts of data, specifically, I think, time-based. And that's what it's meant to do. So if it didn't need something to do that, out it goes. Coming soon to uh, a theater near you is a amalgamation of K, BQN, J, APL, all the languages, all the glyphs. I, I, my comment earlier on uh, the fact that uh, Chinese has like, you know, you need what, 3,000, 4,000 to read a newspaper or something? And uh, they all type in using pinyin. Um, 
or like I even used to when I spoke Chinese and lived in China. You know, you you type you type the symbols in using a little pinion. Maybe we should have a three thousand character array language. You know, I um, I'm starting to starting to that idea is starting to grow on me. Um, but for and I don't know Chinese, but the, there's a basis of the ideographs, right? The, 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 they're not just random. Correct. Yeah, they're the radicals uh, are what they're called. Um, they have you know a radical for hand, a radical for wood and stuff, and you can find those in things that are wooden or things that require your hands and stuff. And like people uh, is actually I'm going to get that wrong because uh, I'm thinking of the name of their Facebook, which is Ren Ren, <laughs> which is just person person I think. Um, but anyways, yes, they have like patterns that you can sort of you know you can guess what. You know, oh, this has radical A and B, and so I'll take a stab at it that this is this, and you're probably probably wrong, but you might be close. And I'm guessing because of your your interest in combinators, your your foundation of those characters would be combinators. Uh, maybe, definitely they tie in somehow. Although com- combinators, I mean, they're the hardest things to find symbols for, in my opinion, because. It's very abstract what you're doing with them. But anyways, at this point, we're at like the hour and a half mark. I'm not sure our episodes just keep getting longer and longer. But um any any last things we want to say? This is awesome. Thank you for coming on, Marshall. And thank you for uh ed- well, thank for thank you to all of you for educating me. Hopefully the listener or some of the listeners um managed to pick up one or two things and we didn't completely scare them away from the uh, array paradigm. Uh Adam. I'll just say to to listeners, don't give up. It might seem really complex, <laughs> but once this the, these concepts click, you'll know it. I mean, if they've made it to the end of this hour and a half episode, uh, hopefully, uh, I mean, we probably should have said that at the beginning. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what you can do. Insert <laughs> insert that clip at the beginning, Bob. I th- I th- what I was going to say is whoever's still listening who's a beginner here, congratulations. <laughs> You're amazing. Um, I'm not sure this was a beginner's episode, but it might give you a sense of where to look and, and what to think about when you're when you're using this. You can still use the languages on a sort of, sort of a more surface level. But if you really want to dive in, this is what it this is what you're going to start to learn. And as Adam says, when it clicks, boy, it's amazing. You really can do some amazing things with it. And there's hope because, I mean, I've made it, what, a year and a half? I can't, 2019 or 20, two and a half years without fully understanding the rank operator. Clearly, um, for whatever amount of uh, understanding that I've developed, I've done it all without really understanding the rank operator. So um, this definitely isn't something you need to learn on day zero. It's, it's like Adam said, it's you unlock the full power of the matrix that APL and array languages have to offer when you, when you can figure out the rank operator. Um, well, Dialog made it about 30 years before they added this operator, so. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, There's that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess if that's the, the last thing to say, we will finish this episode by saying uh, happy array programming. Happy, happy array programming. programming. <laughs>